Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Adam Mudman's A-List. Today, um, well, uh, actually today I want to give a bit of a warning. Um, I'm actually going to be having the fan on in the, quote, studio, aka my bedroom, uh, because it is surprisingly hot in my house today. Um, my room has, ordinarily has this issue where it's like 20 to... 50 degrees colder than everywhere else in my house. Um, during the winter, uh, I can literally have my space heater running at max, and it will still be, like, like low 70s in here, um, which isn't that bad, but I, I definitely prefer it to be a lot hotter. Um, that having been said, it will also sometimes occasionally be significantly hotter than the rest of the house for no reason. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, right now, today, the rest of the house is cool. It's cool outside, but it's, it's really, really hot. It's like 87 degrees in my room for some reason. So if I don't have the fans on, um, you know, I normally work up a sweat when I'm recording these anyway, because I'm absurdly out of shape, and the mere act of talking can apparently cause me to break a sweat these days. Um, but I don't, I don't want to die, uh... So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna lose all my, my water to, to, to sweat, and even though you, you know, can only hear my voice, you know, it's, it's just gonna be gross, cause, like, you can, there are some people where you can just, you can hear them sweat when they talk, and it's like, don't, don't do that, don't, stop, stop sweating, stop having a normal human reaction, you freak, anyway, um, so, uh, with, with that opening in place, uh, I'm gonna be, uh, this, this is actually kind of gonna be a bit of a special week. Uh, I get to talk about, uh, one of my favorite movies, uh, <laughs> as ever, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, House on Haunted Hill, but I get to talk about it twice, cause I'm doing both versions of the movies, because, uh, surprisingly for a remake, the 90s version is actually, uh, just about as good as the original. Um, but of course, you know, we're going to go in chronological order, uh, just because, you know, of course the remake depends so much on the original, um, at some point it would actually be kind of interesting if I was to do this again, do a, um, a sort of, uh, you know, review a movie and then do the remake, but do the remake first and then go back to the original, because a lot of times that's kind of my viewing order for these sorts of things, is, um, I'll watch a movie and then I'll be like, Wait, hold on, that was a remake? Okay, I'll go watch the original now. Um, and then suddenly I'll be like, well, I liked that other movie in the moment, but I kind of realize it's false now. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, um, uh, the original House on Haunted Hill is considered to be um, a, a horror classic. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, not necessarily because it's a legitimately great horror movie, um, but it's definitely one of the most fun and entertaining horror movies, um, you know, not only of the 50s, but just sort of ever. Um, it's made, of course, by William Castle, uh, who made tons of really fun movies, um, excuse me, uh, which I, I am always uh, still in the process of discovering, um, you know, I, I grew up with House on Haunted Hill, and, um, you know, now I, uh, I, I recently saw 13 Ghosts, which, it was, it was pretty okay. Uh, I got to see Homicidal, which was awesome, um, and, uh, 
last night I ended up actually, I, I popped in uh, The Tingler, which of course I loved. Um, basically any time that William Castle teamed up with Vincent Price, uh, you knew that something great was going to happen, because I don't know if I've ever seen a bad Vincent Price movie. Now I'm going to think of one, but, like, seriously, every horror film that I've seen that has Vincent Price in it, I've really enjoyed, even ones that technically aren't so good, necessarily, like, um, The Invisible Man Returns, uh, where he doesn't even physically show up, but his vocal performance, um, is great in that movie, which it kind of always is, because he just had a wonderful voice, and, um, and very few can sort of take on the sort of character that he was capable of portraying, um, which is something, of course, that I'll get to when I talk about um, House on Haunted Hill 1999. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, uh, without any further ado, uh, let's let's crack this one open and, and see what's inside. So, uh, like any good William Castle movie, we open in darkness with uh, people screaming, and uh, there's, like, you know, ghostly moans and, like, rattling chains and stuff like that. And um, that is when um, Elisha Cook, his his severed head, flies in. Uh, he's playing Watson Pritchard. And I would say that this is probably the definitive Elisha Cook role. I think it's the one that everyone remembers him for. Although, um, there was another movie that I saw where he played, like, a, like, angry alcoholic, like, sailor, I think it was, and he was actually pretty good at that, at actually kind of being a bit of a tough guy, um, which is funny, because he could have played Winnie the Pooh, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, he also played the real estate agent from the beginning of Rosemary's Baby, uh, which was always a role that I enjoyed, because, of course, you know, I saw this movie before I saw Rosemary's Baby, but anyway, um, so yeah, uh, uh, Pritchard, Pritchard is just like, uh, I'm about to show you the only real haunted house in the entire world. Um, se- you know, seven people died here, including my brother, and when they found me after spending a night there, I was almost dead. And it's 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 sort of unclear in this beginning if um, Pritchard is referring to... A previous stay that he had in the house, which would definitely kind of explain some of his backstory, or if he's referring to the events of the movie. Uh, and if he's referring to the events of the movie, it kind of puts a damper on uh, the ending, uh, which already is not overly happy. Uh, spoiler alert. So yeah, basically he's, he's warning us that the house on Haunted Hill is one of the most terrifying and dangerous haunted houses, and, 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 and indeed it's the only haunted house in the entire world. Um, and so basically, uh, you know, get some setup for the place. Uh, then we get to actually see the house, and it is, um... They picked a perfect house for this. It looks kind of more like an ancient temple than an actual house. Um, it has, like, a bunch of, like, tiers on it, and it's just, like, weirdly layered, so it kind of looks like a ziggurat, and it has, like, a bunch of, like, jutting, like, ruined shapes coming out of the surface, and it just, it looks really, really weird and awesome, and I really hope that the inside of the house that they they filmed the movie in is, um, 
you know, the actual inside of the house because, you know, I think it would be cool. You know, I, the inside of the house is not necessarily as, as fascinating as, uh, as, as the outside, but to me it would just be more complete if we actually got to see what was inside such a cool structure. Um, so then we get to see Vincent Price's severed head, and he basically says, um, <laughs> I'm going to try to do a Vincent Price voice, probably mostly by accident, just because I'm going to go into the voice, uh, if I'm going to be quoting his lines, um, but my Vincent Price voice is not super great, just a warning, but he's just like, you know, uh, this is the house on Haunted Hill. My wife wanted to have a haunted house party here. She's so amusing. And so basically I called all of these people out here and offered them each $10,000 apiece if they can spend the night. Of course, they may be killed by ghosts in the process. And, um, so yeah, uh... Again, more setup, but also just kind of explains that, uh, you know, there's this millionaire, uh, Frederick Lauren, who, uh, Vincent Price, and he, um, you know, is going to, I guess, uh, Pritchard owns the house, and he is renting the house from him so that his wife can host a haunted house party. Um, but as we will see, the the idea for the party is is not quite original to Mrs. Lauren, as as Frederick puts on. Um, so, he then also uh, kind of explains that, um, he's just like, then we had everyone drive up in funeral cars. That was my wife's idea, too. And so, like, you know, we get introduced to the main characters where there's Lance, who is a jet pilot, Nora, who is one of Frederick's employees, um, there's an older lady who is a gambling addict. Uh, there's Dr. Trent, who, um, is a possibly corrupt doctor. At least Vincent Price seems to think he's corrupt. Um, uh, and greedy. Um, and, uh, I think that's it. I think it's just Pritchard, Dr. Trent, old lady... Lance and Nora, um, and if I'm forgetting someone, it's probably because they're just some generic white dude. Um, so, yeah. Uh, basically, then you know, as the cars are pulling up, we get the opening credits, and during this time, you know, while having all of this great, very archetypical haunted house setup with the rattling chains and the screams and the moans, which the moaning and the rattling chains, there are, there's nothing that does that in this movie, just so you know. Uh, there are no ghosts that rattle chains and moan. Uh, so that's, that's bullshit right there. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it starts going into, of course, you know, the requisite theremin music, uh, which, by the way, <laughs> I, I hope that I'm not getting theremin and Theringer confused, because I've done that before, and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, you can't play one of them unless, you know, you get gas from it. Um, but anyway, the uh, so, of course, very, very nice carnival haunted house music, you know, 
And so, yeah, just stuff like that. Um, very, uh, very Charlie Brown Halloween special. Um, and so, uh, and it's interesting because, like, on one hand, this stuff, this movie is tapping into a lot of stuff that may have very well pre-existed as far as, like, you know, spooky Halloween horror for the teenagers. But in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's also tough to figure out how much of this stuff it created. Because, like, these are the sorts of movies and media that shows like Scooby-Doo were almost certainly ripping off. Um, I mean, Scooby-Doo is also, of course, based on the 1940s horror tradition where, oh man, the supernatural menace was not supernatural at all. It was a person in a costume because to show supernatural things would be unchristian and everyone in America must abide by those sorts of values. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I'm getting, I'm getting a little off topic. Um, this, this movie, what I meant to say basically is it, 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 a lot of the tropes that arise out of it, like the the theremin music, uh, the Theringer music, um, that uh, arises out of out of this movie, it's like I, I have to wonder. It's just you know, it, it is really incredible to see how much of this stuff became embedded into very much the stereotypical Halloween of our childhoods, or I think sort of you know the cynical parents of the 80s onward, just sort of like, oh man, remember those William Castle movies and how fucking lame they were? Let's just like, oh man, you know, harmless stuff for kids. Um, and so, like, uh, really in a lot of ways, this is sort of a stereotypical haunted house movie. But again, if you watch haunted house movies from the 30s and 40s, the stuff that happens, like the moaning in the rattling chains and the falling chandeliers and stuff like that. Like, that's all, like, old pulp tropes, but those older movies don't do it directly. So this is a movie which is tapping into... Again, okay, so I kind of... I feel like at this point... I'm sorry, I, I am kind of bludgeoning this point to death a little bit. And in general, this review... There's going to be a ton of you who have seen this movie. There's a lot of movies that I've reviewed that I've noticed have just not gotten a lot of a lot of readers on them because, you know, everyone has seen this movie and everyone has reviewed this movie. There's really nothing that I can add to it. So, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm going to be talking less about the plot, which in any case is relatively bare bones, uh, and, and kind of just talking more about sort of just sort of the metatextual stuff and, and my own my own feelings and reflections about it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I get the impression that William Castle's movies, um, they were made for, again, this sort of teenage, the teenage movie crowd. And those were the same sorts of people who were consuming, um, the beach party movies that would have, like, Boris Karloff and Vincent Price show up in them, and, and they would be sort of just, like, making fun of the fact that, like, oh man, you know, it's just, like, this groovy beach party musical comedy sort of thing, and then, like, you have, like, these old horror stars who are lurking around, um, just sort of being in ironic contrast to, to everything that's happening, 
and then of course you have Vincent Price playing characters like Big Daddy, which is fucking incredible. Um, so it, um, you know, there was this was uh, teenage crowds. I like to think in the fifties and sixties were more ironic or ironically minded, uh, sort of in, in very much the, the millennial sort of style, than, than we tend to think. Um, I think that the, in some ways, uh, like a lot of young people in any sort of era, they were kind of cynical about the world around them. And so, you know, these monster movies and these horror movies could kind of, you know, make fun of themselves and build up their camp because just people just really liked camp. Um, and I shouldn't say that camp is appreciated purely because of cynicism. That's that's me kind of you know applying modern sensibilities about camp um, to the past. But it, in a lot of ways, it's like has this stuff aged for modern audiences? And how how much of it was legitimately meant to be sort of ironically creepy or or faux creepy in more focused on just the fun of the horror than trying to be legitimately traumatizing, um, you know, um, and so that is my analysis of House on Haunted Hill's use of theremin music, um, so anyway, yeah, once the, once the guests show up, um, we get kind of some exposition then on the, the Lawrence, the, 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 Frederick Lauren and his wife, um, and, uh, so, basically, long story short, they both want to kill each other. Um, Annabelle is, uh, um, significantly younger than even the always disturbingly well-preserved Vincent Price. Um, also, I should say, the person who plays Annabelle, like, I, I I'm so gay. I'm such- I, I, I am such a big- like, lesbian guys, like, I am so, so into women as a woman, and, and, god, I wish I, there are so many of these movie women I wish I could rescue from their men, <laughs> and, and, and lead into, into the, the glorious world of, of WLW, um, but, uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah, so, Annabelle is is Vincent Price's fourth wife. Um, not in real life. I'm sorry, I should use the character's name. Uh, she is Frederick Lauren's fourth wife. Uh, and so, um, the first one disappeared mysteriously, and the other two died of heart attacks in their mid-twenties. During this conversation, uh, Lauren also brings up that he could potentially cause the champagne that he's shaking up to explode, which would send a cork through his wife like a bullet. And, but also, he also points out that at one point, she tried to poison him. Like, she filled his drink with arsenic and he almost died. Um... But of course, you know, they can't get divorced because then they can't, you know, because then Frederick can't be possessive and, and jealous and Annabelle can't be, uh, she can't get his money. Um, having now also seen The Tingler, I kind of want to get into how, unfortunately, William Castle's movies are, are 
kind of sexist. Uh, at the very least, they don't seem to portray marriage or relationships in general very positively, uh, because both the Tingler and this movie feature Vincent Price in relationships with women who want to murder him (laughs) and take his money. And, um, provided the feeling is not necessarily mutual in the Tingler, um, but, I mean, there is still definitely a lot of tension, and Vincent Price definitely still gets a lot of his his creepy moments. Um, and of course, you know, you also have Vincent Price characters, um, you know, I, I should point out who, uh, <laughs> actually, it's interesting, um, again, this, this isn't really a good relationship dynamic, um, for Vincent Price either, but it's, uh, and, and it's off-topic because it's not a William Castle movie, but I was going to say, well, I mean, Dr. Fibes is a good person. He loves his wife. He loves her so much that he wants to just preserve her body forever and murder everyone who was ever, like, socially involved with her. Um, <laughs> that's healthy. Uh, Dr. Fibes, though, might be a bit more well-adjusted than some some of Price's characters, like, uh, like Frederick Lauren. Um, so that is kind of our, our backstory, and it slowly starts to turn... It, the party guests will slowly find out about this dynamic, and eventually, uh, when Annabelle turns up dead, apparently having hanged herself, um, it will definitely throw a lot of suspicion on Lauren, because... Well, out of everyone in the house, he's definitely the most likely suspect. Um, so, um, basically, once everyone arrives, we get our first sort of very trope-heavy moment, which is we have a chandelier which almost falls on someone. Specifically, it almost falls on Nora, and who is saved by Lance. Um, Lance and Nora are kind of our protagonists, and uh, they kind of end up building up sort of a romantic angle as the movie goes on, um, which is kind of unfortunate once we get to the part where the main conflict is everyone um, everyone basically gaslights and disregards Nora's uh, perspectives on things, um, specifically because she's a woman. Um Again, I do legitimately enjoy this movie. It is a really good haunted house movie. It just also happens to have themes that are difficult to talk about. And that is also partially why I like it, because I, I, I've gotten to the point now where I, my enjoyment of movies is so entwined with um, critiquing them, you know, because, you know, now on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash mudman. um where you can get early access to posts like this one, um, as well as exclusive access to my movie thoughts. Um, because I do the movie thoughts, which are my, my reactions and, and kind of mini-reviews on every single movie that I watch, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I can't watch movies for fun anymore. I have to have something to say about them, even if the thing I have to say about them in the end is there's nothing to fucking say about this movie. It's really bad and devoid of content. Um, but, so, in a lot of ways, I guess now I like movies that do have those sort of complications to them, because then at least 
I feel that when I inevitably start talking about them, I can at least get a somewhat interesting analysis out of it. Um, somewhat. I'm not. I'm not going to overestimate myself here. But anyway, the um, uh, Pritchard basically is the main source of exposition as to as to the dangers of the house. He ends up giving them a tour, all the while basically warning them, you know, seven people were murdered here, including my brother. Uh, you know, they were all d- killed horribly, uh, including the guy who uh, pushed his wife into an acid vat for making fun of his winemaking skills. Um, just a slight overreaction there. Uh, again, just kind of plays into this interesting, probably unintentional theme of marriage is is bad. Uh, they specifically highlight again that the the acid vat, which is which will be the source of the movie's most memorable imagery. Um, uh, it's specifically the person. The, the, they reveal it by way of a story in which a husband murders his wife, uh, which I think is again really interesting. Uh, that, you know, again, this is a movie about, you know, where the theme is, marriage is bad, it's a trap, don't get married. Uh, (laughs) Um, also note, there are no happily married characters among the guests, I just realized that. Um, all of them are apparently single, and none of them have been married at any point. If they do mention... Like, like, yeah, none of them mention ever having been married. So, <laughs> that one's probably a bit more unintentional, because we don't really learn too much about a lot of the guests, um, specifically Gambling Lady. There's there's a moment when Pritchard is giving the tour where there's they see a dried blood stain on the ceiling and uh, where someone was murdered, and uh, suddenly it starts dripping fresh blood onto her hand, and Pritchard is like, it's too late, they've marked you. And that goes precisely nowhere, except for one minor scene where blood shows up on her hand again. And nothing happens. Uh, so that's basically the whole point of her character. Um, again, dripping blood from the ceiling. You know, very, very sort of archetypical. This could, of course, be a sign that, you know, Castle was being lazy, I guess, and just going with you know, the older pulp tropes. Um, But it's the way that they're all packaged together that I think makes this movie truly enjoyable. Um, So yeah, uh, while while people end up in the the, uh, cellar, Nora has a run-in with a creepy old lady um, around the same time that Lance goes missing after something hits him in the head enough to knock him unconscious. Um, and so Nora is just kind of wandering around the basement, and she comes across, yeah, this creepy old lady dressed in black, who has her hands all, like, clawed up, and she's, like, making this creepy sneer face where she's, like, exposing her teeth, and she's about to go all, like, I've got you now, my pretty! Um, but, uh, so... And also, this lady, when she shows up, she just slides past Nora. Um, the first show that Rift Tracks did live, uh, if I remember correctly, was 
the chauffeur house on Haunted Hill, and they talked about how, oh man, it's a roller granny, or something to that effect, and it's basically like, they had to have had the actress on some sort of platform that they were sliding around, but when you get the explanation later that the house has a butler who, by the way, is, again, just, you know, creepy-looking motherfucker for no other reason than to just spring out from places and scare the shit out of people when they're already riled up and have guns. Uh, Because Lauren ends up... He breaks out, like, all of these, like, miniature coffins that have guns in them, and he's just like, in case we have to defend ourselves. And people are, like, you know, rightfully so, pointing out, you know... If the house is haunted, why do we have guns? <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, the yeah the people have guns, and this butler is just like lurking around. Didn't introduce himself when the guests first arrived. No one knew he was there, and he just lives there with his blind mother, who I guess just likes making creeper faces and has like wheelie shoes and can, like, just skate around without moving her legs. Like, okay, so she's a mortal woman. How How is she sliding? Because, again, looks like a ghost. Definitely, you know, when we think she's a ghost. But, anyway, I'm not gonna... I'm, I, I, <laughs> I could go on forever about this. Um, so, again, yeah, uh, Annabelle ends up getting hanged. Um... Nora ends up finding, like, a jellified, severed head in a box, which, of course, vanishes by the time everyone uh, comes back to, to, to find it. This is around the time when um, people basically are like, you know, Nora is just like, why don't you, it's just like, you don't believe me, and everyone's just like, why should I? So she's like, telling them, hey guys, this house that's supposed to be haunted, paranormal shit is happening in it. And people are like, why Why should we believe you on that? And, you know, again, healthy skepticism in the paranormal, but it's definitely also this vibe that, you know, when she's telling people she's scared, and she's trying to explain to people why she's scared, people are literally just sort of like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you be scared by scary stuff happening? And this leads to a scene which was another point that they definitely, you know, got some good laughs out of during the Rift Tracks live show. Um, but they end up bringing up... Um, like, like basically, the Dr. Trent is just like, you seem overstressed, Nora. Would you like a sedative? Like, he's just gonna, like, shoot her up with barbiturates. And, like, just because, you know, she's experiencing paranormal stuff in a house that's supposed to be haunted, that they're all locked in. And... I don't know, it's just, it's really uncomfortable, because, like, provided Nora is one of the very... It is one of the only people to witness some of the paranormal stuff, and there, it turns out there's a reason for that. But it just... It, it's weird that they single out a woman particularly. I suppose it's, it's not so bad as, as... Now that I'm saying it out loud, um, as, as 
as it as it might seem, but if you watch the movie, it definitely feels like they are singling her out because they feel you can't believe a woman when she's scared because she's just being neurotic. Um, as a woman, I I I still fucking hate the twenty first century. We're a bunch of you know shit eating barbarians in this day and age, but. I'm I'm glad I wasn't a woman in the fifties. Just just putting that out there. Um so uh more paranormal stuff starts happening with Nora, including eventually um she sees a hallucination of Annabelle uh telekinetically like carrying a rope into her room to form a noose to hang her, just like how she was hanged. Um, and so, uh, it turns out this is all building towards the first whammy ending. Um, so, basically, Annabelle is not actually dead. The guy who inspected her to make sure she was dead was Dr. Trent, and Dr. Trent is Annabelle's lover. And so, what this all was, was that they were basically setting all of this up, you know, having guns in the house, um, you know, putting everyone on edge with, you know, fake paranormal shit, uh, you know, leaving power of suggestion to, to do the rest. Um, they were trying to basically trick one of these people, who ended up being Nora, into thinking that um, Frederick Lauren killed his wife... And, uh, you know, apparently, like, they don't really account for how he ties in, I guess, with the paranormal stuff, um, unless they're just, you know, assuming it's just gonna keep adding on to Nora's fear of Lauren. Um, so basically then, yeah, they're gonna manipulate Lauren into, they're gonna manipulate Nora into shooting and killing Lauren, um... And, and provided, you know, again, they really, you know, the people in the house really definitely help this, help their, help their case, because eventually the plan just boils down to, um, how about instead of trying to figure out who the murderer is, we all just lock ourselves in our room, and if someone tries to get in, we just shoot the fuck out of them. <laughs> uh... <laughs> So that 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 that's gonna go well. Um, what happens is uh, then uh, Trent then convinces Lauren to go look for the murderer because because Lauren you know again he's he's as in the dark as the rest of the guests. He still thinks there's an actual murderer going around, and people generally seem to trust him. And again, it's kind of the thing that um, people trust. Lauren, who has way more reason to be suspicious than they trust Nora. Like, they invite Lauren to, to all of their, like, secret, like, meetings and stuff like that. Like, Nora is left out of the whole hide-in-the-room-and-shoot-the-fuck-out-of-everybody plan. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, sure, trust the dude. Don't trust the lady. She's just fucking crazy because of the tilting of the womb. Um, so yeah, anyway, yeah, Lauren, Lauren ends up confronting Nora down in the basement, 
confronting, quote-unquote, because he's just, as again, is in the dark as the rest of them. And she ends up shooting him. Um, and so it turns out then that, yeah, okay, so th- this, was, this was the plan the whole time. Annabelle comes down to basically, uh, you know, look into Lauren's death. And that is when Lauren's ghost starts mocking her and reveals that, yes, the the house is haunted and he is now one of the house's ghosts. And furthermore, he is manifesting to her in the form of a skeleton! (laughs) And and nothing is scarier than skeletons. Um, So the skeleton kind of, like, lurches towards her and, of course, manages to get her to back up into the acid pit uh, which kills her. Um, the skeleton is then revealed to be a puppet, uh, which is run by Frederick, um, who managed to survive the gunshot. I, I can't remember if it's if it's he had a bulletproof vest or the guns were loaded with blanks. Um, it's something to that effect. So, um, and also uh, Trent, I think, ends up dying as well. If I remember correctly. In any case, uh, Annabelle is now dead. And this is, I think, uh, probably sort of the weakest point of the movie, which is sort of when they, they kind of, they just, they, they, they go all, they go all Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but instead of the cops just showing up and arresting everybody, um, they just have Pritchard, you know, upon discovering the scheme, he just looks into the camera and is just like, she's one of the ghosts now, like, the ghosts are gonna come for me, and then, points at the audience, then they're gonna come for you! And so this is when I kind of have to question, um, the opening again, because if the opening reads as I thought it read, that means that the ghosts, if they are real, like, Pritchard was barely alive in the morning, possibly the only survivor, so I, I kind of, I, I, I like that possibility. I like the idea of, like, the ghosts knew about this plan that Annabelle and Lauren were going to do to each other, like the double whammy, and and they just, like, waited this whole time until it was over, and then they're like, well, since you're still stuck here, we might as well butcher you all. Um, yeah, as far I mean, you know, definitely... You know, William Castle loved his his meta. He loved suggesting that, oh man, the monster is going to break out of the movie and get to the audience, um, which he definitely he did in this. He the gimmick that he pulled for this movie, because uh, in case I didn't elaborate that fully enough, um, all of William Castle's movies had some sort of gimmick going for them. Uh, Thirteen Ghosts had the thing where you had three D glasses where you could use them to basically. Um, you could use them to see the ghosts when you couldn't see them very clearly on the actual film without the glasses. Um, the Tingler had a thing where uh, basically you could be attacked by Tinglers in the audience where uh, there'd be vibrating chairs. And so, since the only thing that can get a Tingler off of you is to scream, if your chair starts vibrating, you have to start screaming or the Tingler is going to kill you. Um... 
And uh, so for House on Haunted Hill, what he did was he had rubber skeletons hidden at the top of the theaters, and then he would drop those suspended on ropes uh, over the audience, and so they'd just be, like, swinging skeletons dancing around. And it's like, why the fuck don't they do that for movies these days? And I know it's because the theater industry has become way more industrialized, and even independent theaters, you know, don't they don't have the sort of spirit in them to do that sort of thing, because they're just sort of like, just just give us your money, watch the movies, and leave. That's all we fucking care about. Just sell us the movies so we can make people watch them. And, you know, I mean, of course, you have some stuff like, you know, I've heard that places like the Alamo Draft House, which... <laughs> I liked the, they they opened one up near to me recently. They just fucking drop on me tonight at 8 o'clock. 2K remaster of Lady Street Fighter. And I'm like, this is a terrible time to not have a job. Like, I would abs- I still have to make up my mind if I'm gonna fucking go to that tonight. Like, that that sounds amazing. This is the exact sort of stuff that I was hoping for when that theater opened up. But anyway, like, you know, Alamo Drafthouse, probably some other places, I've heard of, of them, you know, replicating or doing some, their own variations on some of the castle gimmicks while showing castle movies. Um... I was reading some reviews on The Tingler, for example, which had a thing where they had the vibrating chairs, but they also had, like, animatronic, like, Roomba Tinglers, like, going around the actual theater during the scene when the Tinglers are in a movie theater, like, killing people. And it was... that sounds perfect. Um, That's what movie-going should be about. Movie-going should be, you know, it should be like theater. It should be like a fully immersive experience. Um... And not because the audience is is won't shut the fuck up and is causing problems that that interrupt the movie, uh, that doesn't count. But so, um, but yeah, so this this ending is kind of like a bit of a cop out as far as the meta goes, because it's like you know the ghosts will come for you. Okay, then then you go home and the ghosts don't come for you, and it's like okay, that's not that scary, I guess. But again, you know, it's, it's I, pointing towards that sort of camp atmosphere that I, I, I think and hope sort of existed. existed. Um, you know, people, I think, sort of, they probably played that out for themselves. It, it was part of the fun. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, I, I am planning out my reviews to lead up to... Um, the 200th A-list review. Uh, It won't be the 200th podcast episode, obviously, but it'll be the 200th review um, on the site. So I'm going to be doing something special for that. Um, But I also kind of want the weeks that lead into it to kind of take on some some really meaty sort of movies. And so I I think next week I'm going to have to do Tyler Perry's Acrimony. Like, I have to. Again because I'm hoping to, to to ride just a little bit of that sweet, sweet trending Bronco juice thing stuff before 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 it peters out. And but also just because I just I wanna dig into that movie. That movie was amazing. I wish I had seen that in theaters. But to get into that then, um, from what I've heard, the kind of the thing for young people to do these days is like, like I guess this is more like middle schoolers than anyone else is. I guess like 
people will like go go to Tyler Perry movies and just like overreact to them. And I feel kind of uncomfortable talking about it because it's not a phenomenon I've witnessed or been a participant in myself. Um, it makes me a little uncomfortable because from what I've heard, so like Tyler Perry movies are generally marketed towards black audiences. And so, you know, those are the people who, who see them. Um, but this kind of seems like it's like a bunch of like white kids going in there and just kind of like, you know, making fun of the movie. And it's just like, I don't know, I, I always get a little uncomfortable when white people intrude on, you know, black dominant spaces because it's like, just let people have their own spaces. <laughs> they just serve it for, for all the terrible shit that white people that we white people do to them um so i don't know there's still these those sorts of movies of course you know people are going to go see you know the bloom house jump scare movies and you know scream over every minor thing that happens as if it was actually scary because that's the fun instead of instead of the movie actually being entertaining and then you get old and cynical like me and you're like man if you actually watch these movies for themselves, they're actually they're actually not very good. Uh, but this movie this movie is good. Uh, it would have I think it would have been very fun to see House on Haunted Hill um, in theaters, and it's it's a fun experience even without the current even without a theater um, around it. Just sort of you know watching it at home. Um, it it definitely doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, William Castle movies are are bizarrely professional for low budget horror movies um, that had gimmicky stuff going for them. Uh, but at the same time, there's also sort of um, a a um, I don't want to say like style over substance or something like that, but it's like it's like style and substance over consistency, so you have to get, like, those certain tropes in, even if occasionally they just don't make sense. So, of course, you have to have, like, an ominous, spooky ending where, you know, the the ominous, spooky dude warns us that ominous, spooky things are about to start happening. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's... Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I had, I had fun kind of, you know, just picking apart the movie, because again, I, I, I've seen it so many times, this was even one that I saw before I really started becoming a trash fan, because it's like, you know, if you have, you know, parents who like cheese and camp, you know, they're probably gonna show you House on Haunted Hill, I remember seeing this when I was like seven, because it's, 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 inoffensive and and funny and and creepy in a way that you like as a kid in a way that you can get real nostalgic for when you're an adult um so yeah i uh, if you haven't seen house on haunted hill it's a classic you absolutely should see it and uh that's all i have to say on the matter so um next time we'll be taking on the remake uh 40 years later so until we meet again